This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet or visit esv.org to get started. This is Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for resolute hope in an anxious age. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. I'm your host, Colin Hansen, and I'm glad you're here for today's conversation. We talk a lot on the Gospel Bound podcast about what's wrong in the world, about the challenges for the church. But because of the gospel, there's always hope. God's always working. Even in the rubble, you can find defiant new growth poking through the rocks. And I see a lot of hope in seminary education. I'm blessed to serve on the advisory board of Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama, where I teach cultural apologetics as an adjunct professor. And I think we live in the golden era of seminary education. I I can't think of a better time to be a seminary student with so many great options. One of the greatest success stories can be found in one of my favorite places, Kansas City, at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. The president is Jason Allen, and under his leadership, the school has grown in enrollment and resources and in quality of education. And we shouldn't take this good news for granted because it's not the case at most other schools. But I'm excited about what this turnaround means for generations of churches in the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond. And Jason says that, quote, never before in the history of the church has theological education been so accessible and so needed, end quote. And he joins me on Gospel Bound today to discuss his new book, Succeeding at Seminary, 12 Keys to Getting the Most Out of Your Theological Education, published by Moody. I'm eager to ask him about the promise and peril of online education, why students should still consider residential relocation, and how you know if you're really ready for this momentous step. Jason, thank you for joining me on Gospel Bound. Colin, it's a delight to be with you. Uh, This is the obligatory but heartfelt Go Royals. Uh, As every conversation with you must begin. (laughs) But uh, hey, thank you so much for even your warm words about the seminary and God's favor on us these past nine years. And we're just really, really thankful to get to steward all he's entrusted to us here. I can't think of any other place where you'd get to go to seminary in the city of champions, the Chiefs hey. and the Royals. <laughs> and look, hey, God called us here in October of 2012, and both sports teams were really dormant, as you know. It was rough. It and, was then, rough. and then the Royals awakened, and man, just incredible years. And then as they were beginning to, to wane, the Chiefs awaken. We've had an incredible run, really, with Alex Smith and, of course, with Patrick Mahomes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I thought this book was it's a short, short book, packs a punch, uh, something that would have been really helpful to me as a seminary student uh, years ago. And one of the things that stood out to me right off the bat was a, a strange juxtaposition that you point out. And I'm just wondering, what would you, how would you explain what's behind the evangelical high view of Scripture on the one hand? and a relatively low view of preparing to teach it at the same time. Yeah, so I think historically, when you look back at uh, evangelicalism in North America, okay, uh, 
you had certain denominations and, and movements and groups that placed a higher emphasis on, on ministry preparation. You had others, including my own, the Southern Baptist Convention, especially in the 19th century, uh, that placed a greater emphasis on get messengers out to take the message. And it is a little bit of a conundrum, right? Do we Are we trying to send people out as quickly as possible to preach the gospel to as many people as possible? Are we trying to send out maybe fewer, a little slower, but they're better acquired, uh, better prepared, better equipped, and we're more confident in their ability to go preach and teach? And, and so I think we have kind of find ourselves now in the year 2021 in, in the backdrop of all that. And so we have denominations and churches that still have that impulse to preach the gospel, to share the word. And if God has called you, you need to go do it as soon as you can, but be prepared as much as you can as you go. So it's funny that you start our conversation with that question, as you did, Colin. I got a letter in the mail yesterday from an, an individual, and uh, I'm paraphrasing the letter, but but I'm not embellishing the letter, okay? <laughs> it was like, a how, he, I, dear Dr. Allen, I see you wrote a book, you know, succeeding at seminary, 12 Keys, getting the most out of your theological education. How dare you write a book saying you have to have a seminary degree to preach the gospel? <laughs> and uh, this is like another page and a half of kind of uh, – of kind of teasing out his frustration with me. And of course, I'm looking at it and I'm just smirking because I emphatically say in the book, you do not have to have a similar degree to preach the gospel. And I talk about personal mentors who have not been similarly trained. I talk about heroes like Charles Spurgeon who were not similarly trained. So you, you don't have to, to be that. You don't have to have that. But at the same time, we are called to rightly divide the word of truth. We are called to be as prepared as we can be to equip the people of God as much as we can equip them. Conventionally, uh, that has taken place most commonly in, in the modern era in a, in a divinity school or in a, a seminary context. And that's for a whole host of reasons, and we'll touch on some of those today, I'm sure, Colin. But we do find ourselves, strangely, in the year 2021 with this evangelical uh, irony of we believe the scriptures, we uphold the scriptures, we buy the scriptures, but, but there's a lot of sloppy interpretation a lot of laziness showing up in the pulpit. And when it's a person by God's grace who is doing the best they can with what they have, I, mean, I don't want to sound one bit condescending or critical. I want to say, amen, brother, do your best, do the best you can with what you have and, access, and access all the resources that you can afford to have. But if it's a person who actually can do better because there is so much available, um, I want to say, man, d- don't, don't pull up short. Do your very best to be equipped at Midwestern or somewhere else that's faithful. And, and step into the pulpit with confidence that, that you are rightly dividing the word of truth and better equipped to minister to the all the different needs that the people in the pews have these days. So it's a lot about, especially the past and how that's a prelude to what our current situation looks like. I'm also wondering about the present and then heading toward the future, just given how much we can read and listen to on our own for free, including from places like Midwestern. Not to mention just the other books that we can buy online that are accessible to us in ways that other generations could only have dreamed. Why should someone still invest years and money in seminary? Yeah, boy, that's a big question. And again, that answering that could fill our time today. So I'll try to be <laughs> succinct. But but it is an important question. Look, I think the value proposition component is there as it relates to theological education, as it is to most any other area of life. And in my book, I even talk about the uh, the appropriateness of you thinking about the practicalities like, can I afford seminary? How do I afford seminary? How much should you know price and cost of living factor in to my decision as to where I go to seminary? So those are legitimate questions and concerns. Uh, 
with all that said, though, look, I still believe it's, it's a compelling and a, uh, an important step for people to stake, take in the main to actually enroll in, in a faithful seminary. So why would that be? Let me just thought a few things. First of all, the, the grandeur of your call to ministry. Look, I, I have been in ministry now over 20 years. I, I have many shortcomings that my friends know and my family know even better. But I really haven't gotten over just the grandeur of God's call. Uh, the gospel call is a promiscuous one. All can hear and all should hear and uh, can respond. But the call to ministry is selective. We are a part of a conscripted force. God has chosen a certain amount of people in an Ephesians 4 sense to serve his church. And there is a, a royalty to that, a regality to that, a beauty to that, that, that we don't want to gloss over. And so since that call indeed is so special, who am I to be casual about it? And you think about other areas of life, right? I mean, if, if uh, you know, when we moved to Kansas City in 2012, my five children were much younger then, and we're looking for a pediatrician. And I can assure you, we were careful about the pediatrician. We didn't want to just find one who like dabbled in pediatrics, but, but, but one who had been trained and certified and had good references and all the rest and, and in every area of life, an accountant for your taxes, a mechanic for your automobile. You want a person who's equipped, who's been trained, who's been proven. Well, the call to serve the local church is so much more consequential. And so that sense of, of, of right expectation, of provenness, and of training ought to be all the more all the more a reality in our lives. And I would just take through a few more here. Look, look, to rightly divide the word of God uh, happening in a similar setting, you can learn from other people, yes. But in your church, you probably don't have individuals who are accomplished with Greek and with Hebrew <laughs> right. and with exegesis. And with systematic theology and with historic theology. And oh, by the way, to teach you to counsel the word of God. And oh, by the way, to defend the faith in an apologetic setting. And oh, by the way, homiletics classes and professors to teach you those things. And so the healthiest churches in North America uh, may have something of some of those gifts in their church. But I know a very few churches who have something resembling all of those gifts in their church by way of men and women in the church with that level of equipping who can actually pass it on to individuals called to ministry within their midst. And then you think about the broader context, good grief, the needs of the church. I mean, we have churches in America who have tremendous needs. The average evangelical church in America, not just mainline, the average evangelical church in America is declining numerically. The vast majority are declining and or plateaued. And then you think about the culture, everything coming at us to be equipped to deal with, with, what is before us and interpret what is coming and, and to answer this question from the church member about their granddaughter, you know, exploring, uh, you know, their gender identity and, and then this matter of sexuality, this matter of ethics. I mean, it's just coming at us. And so it, it's not amateur hour. And then you get into, look, what, what the, the mentorship you can receive by faculty to actually invest in you. And, and at a healthy seminary, the faculty will invest in you. You're not just a name or uh, you're not just a tuition payer. You're a person with a real call and the faculty are investing in you. And then the other things that take place that are a little more organic or intuitive, but, but are important nonetheless. I mean, you, you develop a, a band of brothers or a band of right. sisters if, if you're a young lady. And, and you, those friendships sustain you and support you and strengthen you in ministry. And, and then you learn a lot about yourself, Colin, uh, self-discipline. You have to actually pay the bills. And if you're married and have children, uh, you know, care for your family, your spouse. And study and and memorize some Greek and, and 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 you know and read a bunch of books and write some major papers and, and it makes it brings out the best version of yourself. It refines you, and and really forces you to cultivate a self discipline that is that is helpful. And I'll say this as well. Look, uh, I don't want to graduate seminary students who are arrogant, 
or prideful, but I do want to graduate men and women who are competent. And a healthy seminary experience does help imbue one with confidence that, okay, I, I, I am accurately dividing the word of truth. I'm rightly handling the word of God. I am equipped to preach, to teach, to counsel the word of God. And in conversation, you know, I'm so often around ministers and, and I'll often hear an, almost an apology of, well, I'm, you know, I'm not seminary trained or almost as though like you, you sense from them a lack of confidence in their own ability that they have for themselves and, and rightly handling the word of God and, and rightly engaging the meteor issues of the faith. And so I could talk a lot more about this, but those are some of the, the major points, Colin. Well, one of the things you and I have talked about before is online education. A lot of the benefits that come from that is something you guys have invested a lot in at Midwestern to make accessible. And yet, nevertheless, in this book, you still also argue for the benefits of a residential education. So talk about that a little bit more. Why should somebody still follow through with a residential education when they have all these online options from Midwestern as an example. Yeah, look, I, I think we have to be real careful here and, and speak with intentionality. Every person's different. Every calling is different. Every life circumstance is different. But I want to say a few words here. And I'm going to go back. Colin, you and I are about the same age. I might be a couple years older than you are. Um, I, I experienced a call to ministry. I, I became a believer in 1995. Experienced a call to ministry kind of 97, 98, 99. That was really crystallizing for me. Got married in 99. My wife and I move off to seminary in 2001. Well, that was just ahead of the real online wave that was coming. Online classes in 2001 where uh, you would receive some DVDs in the mail, you would watch them, and you might interact on some kind of discussion board. But for me, and so I never really considered am I going off to seminary doing online. It wasn't as, as available. It wasn't compelling. You could not complete a degree online through ATS standards then. What I did not know was happening for me, that, but in hindsight did happen, is that move to seminary. We're going to load up our belongings, move 600 miles. Uh, that, that so formalized not only to my peers, but in my own heart, that ministry is what God is calling me to do. And there are all these different things you're doing that, that are significant, dramatic steps for you know, a guy and gal in their young 20s to be taking to go. But also that is something for me psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, that, that this is serious enough that we are kind of cutting ties, moving from family and going somewhere. And that helped to cement our call. And I got to tell you, I don't know that I'd be here today on this podcast with you or in local church ministry if those steps hadn't been taken. So let me, let me just I'm answer your question. Stay with me here. What I think began to develop, unfortunately, for some through the online wave was it was the... Uh, the opportunity to kind of dabble in ministry preparation and thus dabble in ministry. And a lot of people that maybe were, were not as serious and as intentional and as, 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 as uh, focused on pursuing ministry and ministry preparation for that ministry and online has enabled them to kind of, to kind of dabble with it. And if online education, you know, occasionally taking an online class is uh, in actually inhibiting you aggressively following God's call. That is, not good. And so I do think kind of in the, in the mid to late 2000s, early 2010s, a little bit of a stereotype around online students developed to where you know, you're serious people went to seminary, but those who are not as committed are online. Now, I want to say at this point emphatically, I do not believe that is true. That may have been true 10 years ago, but I don't find that to be true now. What I find happening now more often than not is the online student is is you know the guy who's 28, he's married, he's in a great local church setting, he's serving as student minister, his senior pastor is mentoring him. 
and he's chipping away at his at his ministry training and similar degree online. And I, I can rejoice in that. And I do rejoice in that. And for me, I tell you what has been really um, revealing for me along those lines is we do major conference classes are for the church conference, Gospel Coalition Conference. Right. I was there a couple weeks ago. Right. Um, our, our, uh, the, the, the T4G conference. And so you may go to those and I'll often teach a class and I'll be there with 50, 60, 80 online students for several hours. And I am so impressed by the quality of the students there. So what I'm saying is, um, every person is different. Every calling is different. Every life station is different. If you can go in person, go. If, if your circumstances seem to be lining up to where online makes most sense and God keeps be calling you to remain uh, remain stationed where you are and you're going to pursue online education. Do that as best you can in a concert of, of pastoral oversight and mentorship and make sure that online program you're undertaking it because it is enabling you to engage in ministry and pursue ministry. It's not delaying you from engaging in ministry, or pursuing ministry. And rejoice in that. It's not a second tier degree or second class degree. No, your diploma doesn't say online. You know, for that says, no, it's, yeah. it's just as rigorous, just as strong. And you should be just as proud of the accomplishment of getting it. But I do believe for the average person, especially the younger coming out of college and go to seminary. And it's easy to fall into the thinking that, you know, I, in two years, my life is going to get simpler and I'm going to move in two years. That's never the case. Life right. tends to get more complicated with each passing year. And so just God is calling you, go ahead and go do it, pursue it, fulfill it, enjoy it. And, uh, and, and don't be surprised at you looking back after your seminary training, having gotten so much more out of your time at seminary in many ways that are even intangible and not quantifiable. One thing that surprised me a little bit was when I was going through seminary was trying to think about how to be in a performance-based classroom environment that I was very familiar with, but also doing that among peers where we were really trying to cheer another one another on. We weren't competing against each other in that regard. But at the same time, some of us were preparing for PhD type education where our grades really mattered. And at the same time, we're also trying to be responsible with our callings in life of ministry and family, as you've talked about here. And that was an interesting mix when it comes to the question of ambition. And so one of the things that stood out to me when I was reading through Succeeding at Seminary was that question of, is there a sanctified way to be ambitious in seminary? Yeah, I think so. And if I could be a touch autobiographical, autobiographical here, I uh, was in high school. I was an athlete. I earned a college scholarship. Sports were clearly my thing. I made. I was not a straight A student. I made A's, B's, kind of throw it an occasional C in high school. And I did that primarily by cramming at the last minute and being somewhat responsible with my homework. You know, I go to college thinking I'm going to go to law school, and so I'm a political science major, history minor. I'm far more focused on my academics, but I quickly sense this call to ministry. And so I'm taking political science classes and history classes, but at the same time, I'm, I'm in the back of the class, literally thumbing through my New Testament as, as, so, as the professor's lecturing. Made good grades, but, but again, my passion had moved from law to ministry. Well, I go to seminary, and I am in hog heaven. I, I had a, a wonderful experience at Southern Seminary. I did two degrees there. And, uh, and, I, and I, I really, for the first time, and I, I'm like making you know, all A's. I'm devoted. I want to do, maybe do a PhD one day. I don't know, but I'm taking it seriously. I'm motivated because it's my calling. And it, you know, I'm down front taking notes, and, it, and it's great. And uh, I, I say that to say, I think it is good to aspire to excel academically in seminary. Uh, 
I don't think we need to be delusional about our own callings. And uh, I had a conversation a period of months ago with a student here who completed his MDiv degree and was kind of flirting with a PhD. And we have a big PhD program. And uh, I, I love the pastor theologian and the many folks who want to do a PhD, but they're kind of realistic saying, I'm probably not going to get a summary teaching job, but I, I'm okay with that. I want to be better equipped uh, in my local church as a minister in the local church. And I want to get the PhD. But I can tell this person was romanticizing the PhD program and was frankly overestimating his own academic abilities. And, yeah. and, 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 but his whole thing was, I think I'm going to stay here in Kansas city for another five years and kind of put my wife and three kids on hold while I do this PhD degree. Huh. And my wife's working full time and I'm working part time. Uh-huh. And, and, and everything about this was, this doesn't sound healthy to me. And, and if, if you did complete a PhD, you know, you're probably not going to be at the top of the list of, of, uh, of candidates for you know, an open New Testament position or, or ST position or whatever it is wanting to write on. And so, so being realistic about that with ourselves is important. And it's because our pursuit, MDiv, PhD, whatever, if we're married, that impacts our spouse big time. If we have children, that impacts them big time. And we need to make sure we're clear-minded about what sacrifices we're asking them to make as we're pursuing our studies. Now, I also say in the book, and I think this is where you're getting at, Colin, or wanting me to get at, you know, I talk about the, the home dynamic and the fact yeah. that, look, be ambitious, but but if you have to choose between an A in class and an A at home, you know, get get, get and a C in class and C at home, you know, get the, the C in class and the A at home before you get the A in class and the C at home. Now, that's not new to me. We've all been encouraged along those lines. We went to seminary. I remember Danny Aiken speaking that to me and to our class as a first-year seminarian. But I also in the book, and, I, and this is big, and I'm connecting some dots here from this conversation. I also in the book talk about the fact that many of us can actually excel in the classroom and at home. And what often needs to happen is the, the me time quotient you know, condenses. Right. And it's probably you get an A in both, but you're not going to sleep into 10 a.m. on Saturday. You're going to need to get up at, at six while your wife and kids sleep into nine or 10 and do three or four hours of study. You know, you're probably not going to be playing 36 holes of golf in seminary. You know, you're probably not going to be refining your other hobby and, and kind of personal pursuits. And that's OK. Right. See, this is a season of focus, concentration and study. Yeah. Another thing that stood out to me through my own seminary years was it's the unique dynamic of of students. You're you're learning a lot at a young age, you're academically precocious, you're in a dynamic exchange environment of education. It really draws out the best in a lot of ways. We've also all been in those classrooms where it draws out the worst. How do you turn a student trained in the art of criticizing the church into a steward of the church? for the next generation, because of course that's who you're trying to raise up. Right. I think it's, you have to be intentional about that. I, I think for us, we, we are intentional about it. We talk about those three words around here a lot for the church and in places like, you know, convocation or new student orientation, I'll say things like, you know, my calling and our calling is not to cha- train a generation of church critics or hypothetical church servants, but actually those who love the church. So that is taught, but also it's caught. And we want our professors and we have professors that they love the local church. And so so they 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 students sense that here. What is more, you need you need faculty. And, and again, thankful to the Lord that we have this type who they don't see the church as like a little, you know, a, a laboratory experiment. We always go around critiquing this sermon and, and, and that ecclesiology and, and, and this issue, that issue. 
So speaking winsomely about the church that that is not the church we want to be, and also you know being uh, honest about even you know. Um, the fact is, Baptists, we talk about, you know, the church essential versus the church complete. And, you know, if you have the church essential, you know, the right administration of the ordinances, the preaching of the word, and then you have the church complete, which is a church that's fully functional on, on all eight cylinders of health, which rarely exists this side of heaven, and every other church is on the compendium in between. And so, you know, I can rejoice when the gospel is preached, even if it's not preached expositionally from a text, right? So right. to find different levels of joy there, and maybe I wouldn't join my church, that church, or maybe I wouldn't you know, want my kids necessarily coming up under that ministry. But look, where there's something that to, that to rejoice in, let's rejoice. And let's be honest, we need things to rejoice in this what these days. There's a <laughs> whole didn't. cottage industry of criticism out there, social media, the internet, and elsewhere. And to choose not to be a part of that is a healthy choice to make. Oh, I couldn't agree more on that. <laughs> That's a lot of what we try to accomplish in this uh, Gospel Bound podcast. Uh, Jason, uh, years ago, I edited a book called 15 Things Seminary Couldn't Teach Me, which was actually designed as an encouragement to seminary, not as a detraction in any way from seminary, because we appreciated and Jeff Robinson and I working on that book together. My, my question coming in here is, do you see any temptation to for students to expect seminary to do too much compared to what you need to learn in life and, and ministry? That's a very good question. And again, I tell our folks here, we have to be mindful that many of our students come from unhealthy churches and often from unhealthy families. So we have to be very careful about what we assume students show up having experienced or having known. Many of them come to Christ in college, so they've never had a home church experience, ne never had that. And so that's not just like a denominational familiarity as a Southern Baptist institution. It's just a Christian life familiarity. So there's times when, it, like I teach pastoral ministry classes, for instance, where there's kind of Dutch uncle talks. It's not just about you know, formal aspects of local church leadership, for instance, but it's about um, you know, how, what, what's a basic decorum for dealing with, dealing, for dealing with people older than you. Yeah. What's a basic decorum as to you know how to engage a people younger than you? Um, how do you how do you interact with uh, with with the cranky person? You know, those sorts of things that maybe some of us would pick up intuitively by being in different scenarios, but but we can't assume that. So I I, I think we have to be careful about that. Remembering that many students coming are coming from uh, church and family contexts that are less than ideal, but also the other thing I would say, and here's this particular word of warning to students or future students, don't expect the seminary to fix you spiritually. We will have a course and courses, you know, woven into courses, certain ex spiritual expectations as far as Bible reading, prayer, journaling, personal evangelism, those sorts of things. But some people go to seminary, I, I think, hoping that, man, the seminary is going to fix me spiritually. And we sure hope to strengthen you spiritually. But but your personal piety, your personal spiritual vibrancy, um, you need to be monitoring that and stimulating that and fostering that before you come to seminary, in seminary and after seminary. The last thing I would say is, um, you know, many pastors and look, I'm a pastor. I love pastors, but they almost want seminaries to kind of to kind of fix people. And so, you know, they'll, they'll want to like send someone our way and then three years later, hope we spit them back out to them like, you know, a model 25 year old ready to minister. And look, we only we have to work with what we have to work with. And and the type of graduates we produce uh, invariably correlates to the type of 
of students we receive. And so I want to say the pastors invest in them on the front end before they go to seminary. Uh, don't, don't look to us too much. Look to us a lot. Expect a lot from us, but, but see us as complementing and hopefully solidifying what you're doing to invest in would-be students. Don't see us as, as kind of doing the work the local church and the elders and ministers in the local church should be doing as well. Oh, we've been talking with Jason Allen, author of the new book, Succeeding at Seminary, 12 Keys to Getting the Most Out of Your Theological Education. I've told you guys that um, it really is a golden era for seminary education. I know growing up just uh, north a few hours um, of Kansas City on I-29, I would have loved um, the kind of seminary that you've built there now uh, to be able to be, to attend at the time um, and just grateful for what God's doing in your midst. And I've got final three questions, rapid fire questions here, Jason. First question, where do you find calm in the storm? In the word of God, the promises contained therein and in my wife and kids. Uh, I just, I've, I, I pity the man who does not look forward to going home at night. Uh, to me, that is just, it doesn't matter how bad a grade is on my kids' assignment. <laughs> what went wrong that day I've had to deal with, it's just still a refuge of joy for me. It's amazing what a motivation it is. I've got photos of my kids or what, what a motivation it is when I'm at work, just to work hard and be excited to be able to go home to them. What a blessing. Oh, absolutely. What a blessing. And uh, where, where, where do you find good news today? First of all, um, Man, I, I'm in conversation with pastors all the time. And yes, in those conversations, you hear of challenges, but th- there is a lot of good work out there. And, and I won't make a, a heavy digression here, but but in my context, the Southern Baptist context, it's something of a Rorschach text, uh, test. You have nearly 50,000 churches and people can kind of see whatever they want to see in it. And I see a lot of good because I'm talking to a lot of pastors who are doing great work. And to me, that's encouraging. I'll tell you, I minimize my time in social media. And even online, I mean, I'll do things online, of course, but I'm just not surfing internet to see who is writing what about some evangelical leader that's not healthy or productive. And, you know, I saw uh, some data even last month that showed like something like I think 6% of Americans are on Twitter and less than half of those are actively on it. And it's like, okay, that's helpful because it's easy to think that Twitter is reality, but it's not reality. And so even my my sources of news and like I, I love reading news, I I, I I would subscribe to, you know, half a dozen newspapers and, and dozens of magazines, everything. But if it's a source of news that is always negative or that is obviously political in its bent and agenda, um, I tend to steer away from it. I do. I tend to steer away from it. And I'll tell you, this is a, a courtesy plug here. Uh, the World and Everything In It podcast. Uh, I listen to that some and I'm, you know, kind of while I'm shaving or whatever. And one reason why is because it's not like, three things going wrong with the world today you need to know about. And yes, they speak critically at times and they're trying to inform Christians, but there, there tends to be a thread of winsomeness through it that I find, uh, that I find appealing. Well, that's one reason why Jason, I wanted you on this podcast because a big emphasis of this podcast is to be critical of the sources of our media input and how they're shaping us in certain ways and to be able to ask deeper questions about what's really happening and what God's really doing. And it's amazing how your perspective can change. And with the Southern Baptist Convention, just the sheer size of it means whatever thesis you want to prove is provable somewhere in the convention. That's the challenge. Right. And not only its size, but the fact we're a free church denomination. Right. Right. Uh, It's remarkably simple to, to actually affiliate with us and remarkably easy. 
And uh, you can, I tell people, you can find any type of scallywag you want to find. And you can find more, <laughs> and you can find more than one. Yeah. And so I, I just want to say, don't you know, don't don't assess the SBC or or whatever evangelical group you're part of based upon what someone on Twitter is saying about them. You know, experientially, what have you experienced? So me, I, I literally know hundreds of churches and hundreds of pastors, somewhat personally at least. I mean, I know very intimately scores of churches and scores right. of pastors. I know right. thousands of seminary students here. I, that, that's not accurate. I don't know all of them personally, but I do know hundreds of them somewhat personally. Right. And right. I see the good taking place. And there are missionaries overseas. There's a lot to rejoice in. Right. Now, again, that's exactly what I was, um, message we're trying to amplify here with this podcast. Last question. What's the last great book you've read? Oh, my goodness. I hate these questions because uh, it, it always <laughs> makes me afraid I'm going to leave one out. I would probably say Carl Trubin's Rise of the Modern Self. Pro- probably that, Colin. Um, I-, I love reading books. I know you do and your listeners do. So, I, you know, but but it's just there's always a book or two or three or four of my briefcase or on me. And I just love it. I'll tell you, I read over the weekend the new Winston Churchill biography, uh, Duty and Devotion, I think it's called. And uh, really well done. It's a story. It's a, it's a book looking at the religious life of Winston Churchill. Uh, that, that was, again, if you like Churchill, you would love that book. But those are a couple that come to mind here immediately. Well, my guest has been so great here with Jason Allen, author of Succeeding at Seminary, 12 Keys to Getting the Most Out of Your Theological Education. And of course, the president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. Go check them out. Thank you, Jason. God bless you. Thank you, Colin. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Gospel Bound. For more information, including past episodes, transcripts, and to sign up for my newsletter, go to tgc.org gospelbound. If you like what you've heard, you may also like my new book written with Sarah Zalstra called Gospel Bound, Living with Resolute Hope in an Anxious Age. You can find it wherever books are sold. Mm-hmm.